let's build our own Christmas today, okay? So this book has inspired our series because we decided that let's look at Christmas a little differently this year. And as Ryan would note, when she created the book, she said that it's interesting because some of the choices were very small and some of the choices you could make as you read would change the plot entirely. And some of the things you didn't have a choice in at all. And it made me think that that's just life, isn't it? Because there's times when we can choose what we wear in the morning, or we can choose to move somewhere that changes our path for good. So there's big and small choices. But what's really frustrating at times is the choices we don't get to make. I don't know about you, but think about your story, my story, the setting. We didn't get to choose where we were born or where we grew up. The characters, we didn't choose who our parents were. We didn't choose what we would look like. The plot, some things that have come our way have been disappointing, others downright devastating. But the thing is, we do still have some choice, even when we're given circumstances that we didn't pick. Here's a small way. Kids, teens in the audience, did you get to choose to go to school last week? I see some big head shakes. No, you probably would not have chosen that. You were forced to go when you were always anticipating this Christmas break. But you got to choose the friends you talked to, maybe who you sat by at lunch, um, you got to choose whether you worked hard or just slacked off. And that includes the adults in the audience who had to go to work last week too. So we do have some choices and that's just a small example, but we were not the first people to have choices, to not have choices. In fact, we've been looking at all the people in the Bible, our typical Christmas story, but we've been noticing that they had a choice to participate. When God said to Mary and Joseph, I want you to build your story with the Son of God in it. They got to choose whether to participate. King Herod, when he discovered that there was another king born in his midst, he had the choice to submit, but he chose his own sovereignty. Today, I want us to look at two other people who encountered baby Jesus. Now, Typically, we read about the story of his birth in Luke 2, but because we're building our own Christmas, I decided to go a little different. If you would like to turn in the Bibles in the pews or on your devices to Luke 2, it's page 725 if you use the pew Bible. We're still going to look at Luke 2. We're still going to see baby Jesus, but we're going to look a little bit after he was born, just a few weeks later. I'll begin and read in verse 21. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord a pair of doves, or two young pigeons. Now, as we know, Jesus was born. He was placed in the animal trough because there was no other room. Shepherds visited him. And then on the eighth day, they officially announced his name publicly. That's when he was named Jesus. And then in verse 22, 
we may not realize, I didn't until recently, that there's a time jump here. Because it says that they went to the temple, and there's little footnotes here. And I, I don't know about you. I'm not a researcher, so I don't always look at the footnotes. But apparently that's a good thing to do. One of the footnotes is in Exodus, and it said to consecrate, God said, every firstborn male. When they are a month old, you must present them because, sorry, consecrate every firstborn male among the Israelites, whether human or animal. Now, consecrate is a fancy word that just means you are dedicating them to me. And then if you go to numbers, that's where it says that they do this at a month old. But notice this. So if you're consecrating, you're dedicating, saying, I recognize that the first of everything that I have belongs to God, including my children. And so they said, God, they went to the temple and presented him to God. And then look at this in Numbers 18. You must redeem every firstborn son. When they are a month old, you must redeem them at the price set at five shekels of silver. This was a symbolic way of saying, you are God's and I recognize that our firstborn son is the Lord's, but we're taking him back into our household but we're giving an offering to God to redeem him, to buy him back symbolically from the Lord and take him home with us. So this would have been about a month after Jesus was born because he was the firstborn son of Mary and Joseph, and they took their offering there. And Mary also, after 33 days, was to present the offering of the pigeons and doves so that she could be ceremonially clean again. Now, when they got to the temple there were two people that they encountered. And that's who I want to look at today. I want us to, first let's meet them, and then we're going to see what they said. Let's read verses 25 through 28. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom says, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God. So we're told a couple things about Simeon as we meet him. It says, first of all, that he was not going to die until he saw God's Messiah. It's kind of a strange thing to say. So we're going to assume that he was an older gentleman if he was considering his death already. And it says that, you know, when I think about that, Simeon didn't get a choice there. He did not get a choice of when. He did not get a choice of if he would die. But what did he get to choose? He got to choose how he would live up until his death. That's a choice we all have. And Simeon chose being righteous and devout and filled with the Holy Spirit. That means he's worshiping God. He's got a relationship with him, that he is connected and following after God's spirit. That is a choice he made. He could have chosen to live out his days being grumpy. He could have just been focused on himself and not anyone else around him. But he chose to worship God. So we see there that he didn't have one choice, but he did have another. The next person we meet we find her in verse 36, if you would skip down there. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. 
She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Now, the first thing we meet here about Anna is that she was a widow. That is definitely a choice that she did not get to make. After only seven years of marriage, she may have been married at the age of 14 or some teenage year. Just think five and a half to six decades she lived without a husband. And in that culture, it was not just grief she likely experienced, but vulnerability. Because as a single woman in that time, she was very vulnerable. And her choice, what did she choose to do? She went to the temple. She turned to the house of God for provision, for protection, for strength. And her choice, that makes me think of a lot of us here today. Because even though it's a Christmas season that's supposed to be full of joy and light, I bet there's some of us in here who feel more pain than joy. And maybe you're approaching God just asking for help and strength. And Anna's choice can inspire us. In fact, there's, there's someone here today who said that Anna is an inspiration to her. And I want us to hear from Sue today, one of our own friends. Come on up, Sue. Sue's going to share a little bit of her story because she can relate to Anna. If you haven't met Sue yet, she is an avid bike rider. She loves to write, and she might be a Broadway fan. You'll have to ask her a few things. So I'm going to ask Sue some questions. And you can sit right here, and I'll grab the other chair, since we've had microphone issues. Some of those were microphone issues. You get the mic of power. Now, you've been at Echo for a few years, but when you first came here, um, it was about a year after you received something you didn't want in your life, and that was to become a widow. And I would love to ask you about Chadwick and how you guys met and how long you were married. Okay. Good morning. Um, so here's a little pro tip for the married folks. Whichever one of you survives the longest, your version of all the stories becomes canon. Which is to say, Chadwick and I disagreed about how we met, but he's not here. Um, <laughs> We first met, he was a student at Lubbock Christian University and was taking some summer classes and some folks that I knew were doing, they had like a summer camp thing for high school students. Some people I knew were doing a session at the summer camp. I was unemployed. They said, hey, do you want to come help? We need your extra hands. And I was like, sure. Uh, so in between, our session was over. Chadwick was in between classes. He sticks his head in the room and a mutual friend of ours who is, by the way, now married to my best friend says, hey, this is my friend Chadwick. Chadwick, this is Susan. You know, how do you do, yada, yada. Um, later that day, the meeting that Chad does remember, we were at home, and this friend of ours, we, he and I lived in the same kind of apartment complex, and I'd gone downstairs to say hi or borrow sugar, I don't know. Um, and there was Chadwick, they were playing D&D. &D. So that was how we became friends, was he and our mutual friend played D&D &D all summer long, and I was bored. <laughs> um, we were married for 13 years. Now... We definitely want to hear more stories later, and you said he was a talker, so I'd love to hear more about that. But I do want to see how your story connects with Anna. And so it said, you know, Anna turned to the house of God, to the people of God, to him as her strength. And when Chadwick passed away, how was the church in Austin your support and strength? 
Okay, I told Kelly I was having a really hard time keeping these answers short, so I'm going to try and leave out the non-essentials. Um, the morning that he passed away, um, because he was a young person and this was kind of a suspicious death, of course the police have to do an investigation, but I didn't think about that. I'm just calling all the people I know and saying, hey, we have a problem. Um, and so while the police are like taking my statement, taking pictures of the house and whatnot, the door, people keep knocking on the door. And it was first our minister and then like every elder of the church one by one. And this is a uh, rush hour morning traffic in Austin, which is not a place where you can exactly race. So I'm pretty sure they broke some laws to, uh, to get to my house that morning. Um, and I, you know, I had a house full of elders and other members of the church just all day long. They ended up cleaning the place from top to bottom. I promised my friend Ruth I was going to mention her this morning. Um, she did not live in Austin. She had moved away from Lubbock about the same time I did. She was in California. And I was on the phone with her, and I was like, they want to clean up my house. And, you know, he passed away in the bathroom. It's really disgusting. It was. Um, and she's like, just let them clean. They want to do this for you. Let go. Let them do this. Um, and so I did, and they cleaned up all the gross stuff. And um, a story I also wanted to share was they brought us... People, you know, as you do, as we do, people die, you come over with food. Um, my fridge was full, but someone had brought us Torchy's tacos, and my sister bit into one thinking it was chicken and it was fish. And she has now given herself a restraining order against Torchy's tacos for the rest of her life. She won't go within 100 yards of it. Um, but that was it. They were there for days and days and days. The family, my family came eventually. They housed all of my family members. Um, but just even in the months that followed, like... You know, as many of you saw when my first couple of years here, like I cried every single Sunday for years just in church. <laughs> there, And, you know, they were okay. They'd sit next to me and watch me cry and pass the tissues. And, you know, it was, um, I was never not surrounded by people and by love and by this incredible community that we were a part of. So why do you connect to Anna or find it, her an inspiration? Okay, so the kind of petty and slightly impolite answer is, She's a great counterexample to folks who want to remind me that Paul says in 1 Timothy that younger widows should get married and have children and manage their households. And it's really nice to say, but Anna. Um, so there's that. She's very useful that way. Um, but the more important and more serious way is, you know, as Kelly mentioned, obviously she was, well, maybe not obviously, but she certainly could have been very, very young when this happened to her. You know, this is many, many years. And when, you're, when your spouse dies, you're the only one left who's carrying the memories that you shared together and the time that you shared. But the other thing that dies in that moment is all of the plans that you had and the future you thought you were going to have together. And like, as far as we know, she may not have had children. They're certainly not mentioned. Um, I don't know what kind of societal and family pressure she was facing to get remarried and, you know, do the things you're supposed to do. And that's not the path that she chose. And um, I just, to me, many days, even now, like my life is very full and fun and and great, but when I kind of picture the future, I still, I see a, just a blank calendar stretching out in front of me endlessly. And um, what I love about Anna is she has this, this loss of her future, the loss of her plans, the loss of everything that she thought would be, and yet she got up off the floor and said, you know what, God, whatever you put in front of me, that is the life that I have now. Um, and I admire that strength and that resilience and that choice that she had to make day after day after day for decades. Like, I'm not even halfway to 84 yet. I mean, I'm close. Give me another six months. Um, but, like, I can't imagine continuing this. This I don't want to live that long. <laughs> you know, I, um, I just, I don't, I don't know how she managed to do it every single day. But she still managed to get up every day and say, God, what you put in front of me, this is the life that I have now. This is the life that you've given me. And, 
And I think of the verse, you know, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord, that that had to have been her prayer every single day. One more question is that I feel like in this kind of tragedy or any tragedy all of us have experienced, it can become our identity. The thing, the worst, the worst thing can end up defining us. And yet I've seen in you that you are a widow, but that is a piece of your story. And yet you have determined to live fully and have all these other pieces to your story. So what has motivated that determination? Um, okay, so first of all, thank you. That's very kind. Uh, secondly, I don't have a satisfactory answer to this because I do think that it's my entire identity. and That's how it feels to me most of the time. Um, I, you know, I like to joke that I didn't get a personality transplant that day, but the truth is I did. Um, there's a lot of things that even now, I guess, I don't know if I'm just at a turning point at this, the last few weeks, maybe, I don't know, um, that I suddenly have remembered, you know, I used to do this all the time and I haven't done it in years, like different things that I used to like that I just stopped doing and didn't even realize it. Um, or things that I've started doing that I'm like, when did this start? Oh yeah. Um, you know, like there was a, I went through a phase where I never, I wouldn't ever look at people. Like people would talk to me and I just never looked at their faces. And I don't know why that was. I just, I couldn't, I couldn't stand it. I couldn't do it. And I still, it became a habit. And so I still catch myself when I'm talking to people looking anywhere but at them, which is a thing I have to fight. So, you know, it's, it's silly little things like that. That's like, this is who I am now. And this is what has taken over my life. Um, but I don't know, maybe it doesn't appear that way to other folks. To me, it's just, it, it is, it's a big part of me. So I can't, I can't say that I'm fighting back against it and then keeping it a piece of my life because to me it is all of my life and, and it does color everything that I do and it's who I am. But um, I don't know, like I said, I don't have a satisfactory answer to that question. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing today and being willing to tell us a bit of your story. I've noticed when I tell this story that people have this urge to hug me, and I'm going to ask you to please fight that urge. <laughs> please. Not a hugger. I've learned this the hard way. Uh, so as you read scripture, these are real people with real stories. And that's why I wanted us to chat with Sue today, because our lives today, we read in scripture and you find a connection. And you try to find inspiration somehow. Now I want to see what Simeon and Anna both said. Because they both made these amazing choices to keep serving God despite the circumstances given to them. And let's see their reward. We're going to go back to verse 29. And this is Simeon. As he held baby Jesus in his arms, he prayed, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. I find it interesting to think about some familiar passages that we usually hear during this time of year, and where Simeon said Jesus would be a light for the Gentiles, 
He's going to be the glory of the people of Israel. He's going to be the Savior. And it makes me think back when the angels, just a month before, had spoken to the shepherds and said, Go, because today I bring you great news that is going to be joy for all people. And that verse you probably have heard many times. But that all people, that Jesus came for everyone. And Simeon said this here, it's just that reoccurring message that we all belong to Jesus, that he came for us all and he was going to be the savior of us all. Now let's look at what Anna said and did in verse 38. When she saw Jesus and Mary and Joseph coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Now, this word redemption, we've talked about already. Because why were Mary and Joseph taking Jesus to the temple this day? They were there to redeem him. And what was his destiny? To redeem his very parents? To redeem Anna and Simeon? To redeem all the Jewish people who had been waiting and hoping and longing for years because they knew this promise. He was going to redeem all the Gentiles who may have never heard of him before, who had never heard of Yahweh God. He was set to redeem all of us. And that makes me think again. The angels spoke to the shepherds. They said, today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Messiah means that redemption. And I love that as Mary and Joseph held him in, his, in their arms, he would redeem them one day. And after looking at this scripture again and again, I just kept thinking there's one more person who had a choice here. That was Jesus. It may not seem like it at the time because he's a baby. Babies don't have a lot of choices. But he had to choose to come to earth in the first place. He had to choose to place himself vulnerably in the hands of fallible human beings. He was God, an eternal being, and yet he chose to come to earth. Now, he probably didn't have a lot of choice in what he would be like as a human because God had already created these limitations. So he was going to live as a baby. He was going to be a wobbly little toddler. He was going to be a kid who had to go to school. He was going to be a teenager with all your crazy emotions. I know how that feels. He was going to have to be a responsible adult. Who would choose that? But he did. And there was no reason for his own glory, for his own self to come and limit himself in that way, to put himself through frustration as a human being, to be put in time and think of how eternal that must have felt for a God outside of time to suddenly live every minute, every day, every week and month and year. But Jesus chose that. And as Simeon said, he was going to cause the rising and falling of people. He was going to reveal people's hearts, and that wasn't pretty. If you have read any story of Jesus' life, people hated him, and yet he still chose to come. 
He chose burdens over ease. He chose confrontation over silence. He chose perfection over temptation. He chose what people needed, not what they wanted. And he chose what was right over what was popular. Every choice Jesus made was for us. Jesus chose you. Every time he had to make a decision to remain perfect, to be the savior, to face the hatred, to go on and move toward a cross where he would die for our sins, he chose you again and again and again. Maybe you feel today like you don't have a lot of choices. Maybe you have been given circumstances that have just frozen you. And you're at the point in your story where you think, what good is it? Because this is my identity now. But you still have a choice. Simeon and Anna still chose to respond. They responded by worshiping God, by trusting in him, leaning on him. And we may not get to choose our setting or the characters and sometimes the plot, but we do get to choose how we respond. We can worship God. We can choose Jesus as our hope. And that is my prayer for you today, that you would find your strength in the circumstances you didn't choose, that you would find your hope when it feels really dark right now that you would choose Jesus because Jesus chose you. We're gonna end our time together in communion. And it's a chance for us to take a piece of bread and take a cup of juice and remember that Jesus made a choice to go to the cross to die for our sins. Let's use this time now as the trays are passed and just thank Jesus for the choice he made on our behalf. I'll pray. God, thank you so much for creating us and knowing that we were not gonna have all the answers, for knowing that we were going to sin and yet you made a plan to rescue us. Thank you for Jesus who saved all who came before him and all who've ever come after him. Thank you for redeeming us. Let us remember that today, through this Christmas season and every day, that you choose us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.